great privilege to introduce a really dear friend of ours from Brighton, Emmanuel Church. For those of you who don't know Joel, Joel and Katie lead the church in Brighton and are family of churches. And um, we've known them for a very long time, had the great privilege of being in their church family while we lived in Brighton. It's where we planted from. And um, he's gonna come and open the word to us. And let me encourage you to listen well, because it will do you good. Joel, over to you. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you, good to be here. My first time back here since uh, COVID. So uh, it's been a couple of years. And uh, for many of you, it's, uh, it's, I'm just looking around the room, literally now spotting some familiar faces, which is so uh, nice for me. And, uh, and some total new faces, which is also nice. So really good to be here. Thank you for your welcome. And um, thank you for just being a wonderful church, an inspiring church. Um, every time we talk about liberty, um, people are inspired by the story and encouraged. And uh, you guys are doing a, a superb, a superb job, a superb work for God in this in this remarkable city. And it's good to be with you. Uh, as Joe said, the plan was for uh, myself and uh, my my friend Neville to come and pray uh, for these uh, elders and to. Uh, recognize them officially and point them in eldership. We um, are not doing that because of uh, Matt being ill, although I think what we could do is, is, a, is sneakily appoint someone else while he's not here. So if any of you want the job, I'll, I'll take highest bidder uh, for senior team leader, anybody? Um, actually, what it does do is it gives me a nice excuse to talk about Matt behind his back. Um, which I'm going to do, but only, only in a small way and only in a very encouraging, positive way. I actually want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about how we respond to leaders. Because of Matt's illness and us not doing it today, uh, I at first thought, oh, I'll preach on something completely different. Um, but I woke up this morning and thought, no, I actually think I will stay with the theme of leadership and talk about how we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, respond to leaders. And uh, so we're going to do that by looking at the New Testament book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible with you, perhaps you could turn with me to Hebrews near the very end of your Bible. Uh, and Hebrews chapter 13, chapter 13. And we'll read two sections, verses 7 to 9, and then we'll jump to verses 17 and 18. Uh, so starting in chapter 13 of Hebrews, verses 7 to 9. It says this, Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Okay, so flip down to... Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Um, this, this is a classic case of the Bible going against the grain for us culturally. Uh, we 21st century people, um, we have 
all kinds of presuppositions that we come to the Bible with. We sometimes don't realize we have them. Um, but we, we, we kind of think we know certain things about how the world is meant to be. And when we, we find the Bible kind of bumps us the wrong way, we, we, we think, how, how can it be so wrong? How can the Bible talk about obeying leaders, submitting to leaders? The whole concept of submission for us culturally is generally a negative thing. The concept of authority, the concept of even leadership is at best a kind of a, a necessary evil. We know that leadership is probably necessary because it's better than the alternative. Okay, so we don't want anarchy, so we say, okay, well, we'll, we'll put up with leadership. We'd rather not have leaders, <laughs> but if, if the only alternative is, is being you know, back to the Stone Age, then okay, we'll, we'll have leaders, we'll let, we'll let them do their bossy thing just to just kind of, sort of keep, keep society kind of going. So we see it as a, a kind of a, a utilitarian thing, like a, a functional thing. And that's, that's because we belong to a particular time and place in culture, kind of Western modern liberalism, which, which has its, its assumptions. We should, we should question our assumptions. We should look under them from time to time. Where do they come from? Are they appropriate assumptions? We do that anyway, hopefully, when we cross cultures. Many of you, I'm sure, have done that before. A lot of people in Amsterdam, a lot of people in Liberty are people who aren't native to Amsterdam. And when you, you come into a new place, you realize, oh, they do things differently here. You know, I, I always feel that a little bit when I come from, you know, go from city to city. And sometimes it's quite drastic. And, and, and sometimes it's quite alarming. I remember once, I mean, this is a kind of a trivial example, but uh, it makes the point. I was in California years ago, and I, I crossed the road um, which you'd think would be a fairly you know, a mild um, uh, decision to make. But I, I, I crossed the road, and, and before I knew it, there was like blue flashing lights, and a man with a badge and a gun jumped out of this car and rebuked me in the road. He said, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, uh, I don't know, am I doing wrong? And the guy said, he realized I was English from my accent, and uh, he said, uh, do you do that in your own country? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I, I'm, uh, you know, at the, I'm the, the, the Englishman abroad who, you know, archetypally is basically snooty and thinks he's clever. So I said, what? You mean cross the road? And, and that's like not a good idea with a guy with a badge and a gun. And in California, they can be quite jumpy policeman and, uh, and, and I saw so I'm pleased that I didn't spend a night in the cells I think he just thought well foreigner you know exemption so he rolled his eyes Englishman but, but I, to this day I don't quite know what I did wrong but I must have done something wrong and I walked away this is the thing I walked away thinking strange man <laughs> but the interesting thing is that he probably drove away also thinking strange man and the question is, which was, was right? <laughs> which one of us had it accurately? If you think about it, he did. Because he's, he's the, the guy that runs things in that part of the world. He's the policeman in California. He knows what goes. And I'm the stranger. So for me to walk away thinking, what a weirdo. It was kind of inappropriate in a sense. It's like, I'm not making sufficient kind of space in my mind for the fact that people have different assumptions to me. And 
Sometimes this is expressed in more serious ways. <laughs> you know, Dutch Empire, British Empire, we've got a lot of stories we could share about how we've not done this all that well. But when we come to the Bible, we've got to be prepared for the same kind of adjustment. We hit values in this book that we don't necessarily deal in. And then we have to make a, make a decision. How do I respond when I read this book and I think, strange man, obey your leaders, submit, submit, strange book. Oh, who's right and who's wrong in this situation? Could it be that this represents a different culture? In fact, could it be it represents a heavenly culture that I need to adjust to? I don't need the Bible to adjust to me. I need to adjust to it. If, if indeed it comes as God's wisdom, if indeed Jesus who rose from the dead was right when he said, your word cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. If I follow Jesus, I, I need to come to this book with a heart that's soft and, and tender and humble. So I need to think, okay, okay, submit to your leaders. Tell me more. How, help me with this. Because if I'm an honest Amsterdamer, which I hope you are, you will be squirming with this verse. If you, if you say, no, I love this verse, liar. I know you. You're like me. You're like me. You don't like submitting. We don't. We, we have a negative view of it. You know, the word submit doesn't conjure up. Don't Google the word submission, by the way, whatever you do. It doesn't conjure up good. Some of you are. Stop it. Put your phones away. It, it's, it's not a good thing to do because the, ne- the images are either gross or they're silly. You know, it's like basically losing a wrestling match. <laughs> That's what it is. I submit. I'm, you know, I, it's a negative thing altogether. And, and, and so we throw it out. And, and actually, to be honest, I'm making light of it. We might throw it out for reasons that, are, that seem more serious. Uh, there is such a thing as abusive leadership. They're, they're, sadly, it's all too true that, that authority is abused. Authority uh, can be a kind of a, a cover-up for selfish, tyrannical leadership that hurts people, that harms people even. And, and so what we tend to do is we see a teaching in the Bible being abused or misused and we therefore throw it out. We say, okay, well, we, we've only ever seen this teaching being used badly. So what we'll do is we'll cut that teaching out of the book. We'll get our scissors out and we'll say, that bit's not there anymore because we've only ever seen it abused. That's very common. And it happens to nearly every teaching in the Bible, if you think about it. Nearly any teaching in the Bible is, is susceptible to being misused. I, you know, classic example, the Bible says that, that the child of God, the believer in Jesus, is not under the law. Not under the law. <laughs> if you stop and think about that, that's kind of exciting and scary. And some people have maximized the scariness. Some people have said, not under law. I'm a child of God and I can be lawless. I can be wicked and not care because the Bible says I'm not under the law. And they've abused the teaching that they're not under the law. And so then other Christians say, whenever anybody says, did you know that a child of God is not under the law? They say, don't say that, don't say that. And they pretend that that isn't in the Bible. They cut it out because they're overreacting. 
And the, the church keeps doing this kind of pendulum swing through history where something gets misused and so we throw it out. No, no. The right response surely to something being misused is for it to be recovered and restored, to be used rightly. If it's true, if it's right, if it's from God's word, it's there for a reason. And, and we've got to hope for something better. We tend to assume the only two options are misuse or complete abandonment. So forget it, forget that teaching. No, there's always a better way. <laughs> and that is saying, Jesus, help us to fulfill what this book says. Help us to go for this. Help us to, to believe what it says and fulfill it. And that's the challenging thing when you start saying that because, you know, it's some pretty scary things in this book. But maybe, maybe that's our adventure. We get to say, okay, God, if, if leadership is a thing, if authority is a thing that's good, help us to discover that by your grace. Help us to rediscover the joy, the wonder, the beauty of leadership, authority, submission, as if such a thing could be beautiful. It's mind-blowing, but that's the claim of the book. And... I think just to start us off, it's worth considering the fact that when we think about leadership as at best a necessary evil, we're already getting it slightly wrong because God's ideal is that leaders in the church are not just, you know, the, the, the least bad option, you know, the one that got in, <laughs> but they're God's gift. They're given from the heart of a giving, generous, loving God. God gives leaders to the church out of concern, compassion, gentle, tender, fatherly love leads him to give, what's it going to be? You know, a a massive car, a big house, you know, it's going to be leaders in the church, elders, Oh, okay, I'll go home then. No, this is a precious gift. And God, God's clear on this. Clear to the point where, perhaps to help us, he's, he's deeply concerned when he sees leadership being misused. When he sees leaders acting, like in Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament, there's a long, strong section of rebuke where God speaks very severely against leaders in Israel who are misrepresenting him. They're supposed to represent him and what they're doing is, is, is selfishly grinding the poor into the dust and showing no compassion and using people for their own convenience. And God's, God's rebuke is that they are representing him. They're supposed to be shepherds who represent this chief shepherd who cares for the sheep, but instead they're not. And so he's, he's angry. And then you get Jeremiah chapter three, where God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. God's solution then is he sees misuse and abuse. He sees it. God of all people is the most concerned to deal with that. We never need to worry that God won't ultimately judge evil leadership. It deeply it offends him more than it offends us because it misrepresents him blasphemous it's not just it's not just unpleasant for us it's blasphemous so God deeply concerned says I will give you instead shepherds after my own heart it's one of the promises of the new covenant it's his delight to do it 
And you get Isaiah chapter 32, which promises the coming of King Jesus, the Messiah. See, it says, a king will rule in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. And each one, let's, let's in fact get to the very, the very wording so I don't get it wrong. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry, isn't that a beautiful image for leaders? Like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. You don't really tend to think of our church leaders like that, but that's the, the image the Bible presents. Refreshing, stabilizing, comforting, encouraging, strengthening, supporting. Wow, what a thing to live up to. This is the image we're given. God sees it and God pursues it. God's not given up on it. We give up on things a lot easier than God does. You may have noticed. So, so we need to say, God, help us to retrieve this, this image of the church having leaders who are given as a gift. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Jesus, the ascended Christ, gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. This is what Jesus is doing. You might say, what's the risen Jesus doing now? If he's risen from the dead, what's he doing? What, has he got his feet up? Is he watching Netflix? What's he doing? Jesus, right now, one of the main tasks to which he devotes himself is the giving of leaders to the church. He's deliberately, whenever you see elders being raised up in a local church, like that's we were going to do today, and we will do, whenever you see it, it's, it's, it's the activity of the risen Jesus. It's the activity of the ascended, the ascended Lord. He is doing what he says he'd do, giving gifts to the church. It's beautiful. And we need to recover this perspective to help us to respond. Because culturally, we wouldn't get this naturally and it means that we we kind of see it differently I remember overhearing a conversation between a dad and his teenage son and the teenage son they were talking about someone they mutually knew who wasn't especially good looking you know aesthetically not particularly high achiever and uh, they, they, they were saying that the son was saying he's not exactly God's gift to women is he you heard that expression not God's gift to women and the dad said I think he might be God's gift to his wife, which I thought was quite smart. The kid said, yeah, good one, Dad. Remember the conversation. But it, it, it's, it's, it's helpful. It's like it's, leaders in the church, they're not perfect people. And they're, they're, there's many things that we will have to come back to before we finish this message to, to balance it. But to remember at the outset, these are gifts. Gifts of the risen Jesus, not just the necessary evil, but the active risen Jesus is giving kindly let me just move on to look at, at how we respond then because we we, we do need to we, we, don't, we don't want to pretend that we don't have a part to play in this the reality is that you and me we will we will follow the lead of certain people whatever we will be, be influenced by people we will be shaped by people it's going to happen even if we do it by accident, even the word influencer is like a new key word, isn't it? It's just you know, YouTubers who, who, who know how to cover a lot of ground in, in popular culture, they know how to get a lot of followers. I'm an influencer. And, and all of, you know, if you've got kids, you'll notice that they're, they're noticing the influencers in many cases. It's like, 
It's, it's, we, we naturally do it. We can't really not do it. It's, it's instinctive and human to look to those who we can imitate. We will tend to gravitate towards people whose model of living seems one that we should ad adopt. And the, the Bible's only recognizing that when it says in verse 7, remember your leaders... And then it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So he's really saying, I know that you imitate somebody. You will generally do that. Even if you say, well, I'm, I'm the sort of person that doesn't imitate anybody. No, 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 I'm a nonconformist. Great, you can be one of those people that imitates people who are nonconformists. You, you all do it. You can't run away from your shadow. It's just part of being human. So, so the, the Bible's saying, choose carefully who think about you not everybody's the outcome of everybody's life is not the same it's not this is one of the great lies of our age <laughs> we tend to because we want to flatline everything and make everybody equal understandably we love equality but if you only talk about equality if that's the only value that we value then we end up equalizing things that are wrong with things that are right we end up saying this must be good because we said this thing was good so we have to say this thing's good too, otherwise we're not being into equality. That means we've made equality the only criteria. It's not. There are other things as well, things like wisdom, <laughs> things like purity, things like loyalty, justice, all kinds of other things. And, and many people, we actually don't need to follow. I remember at age about 15, 16, I got to that point where I realized the people who were all over my bedroom walls, you know, posters, people whose music I listened to, books I read, lives I was fascinated by, the more I looked at their lives, the people I was obsessed about, the more I actually looked into their lives, one or two famous people whose names I could drop and you'd know exactly who I mean, the more I thought, man, I don't want to imitate the outcome of your life. When I consider the outcome of your life, I think there's something massively lacking. The way you treated people, the way you treated your spouse, the way you treated your kids, the way you... I don't want what... I don't like that about you. And the Bible's just being honest, saying that's true. There'll be some and some. And the wisdom is to pursue the imitation of those... The outcome of their life is observably different. There's something about you. You're following because you think... I, I see something in you. You're not perfect, but I see something in you that ultimately helps me to be more like Jesus. I'll say it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I, this last 24 hours, I've been staying at Dan's house, Dan and Sophie's house. And I can say, I've, I've come away feeling, God, help me to be more like Jesus. Because I'm watching a, the way this guy is a father with, and a husband. And I'm thinking, wow, I've got a lot to learn. That's, that's what he means. I just, you just get close enough, you see it, you think, oh, wow, that inspires me. God, I see the way you do that and the way you don't do that. Oh, wow, I think I should learn. It's healthy. We all need that. We just choose. The Bible's saying choose who these people are. Who would you emulate? Who would you imitate? And, and he especially applies that, it seems, at first to those that we would only know from a distance. So verse 7, he's talking about those that you'd remember. Remember your leaders. In other words, people that you don't necessarily see anymore. The ones who first led these people to Jesus. 
And so the equivalent for me and you, I guess, could be people that inspire you though you might never meet them. Maybe because they've died. And I would say, honestly, for anybody following Jesus, one of the best things you can do and should do is to pick out through your life people who've, who've left an example that inspires you and get to know them a bit. Get to know them. Get to know their story. I ra- I've, I've, I've named some of my kids after some of my heroes. People who I, I'm so helped by their example, so inspired by it, that it's left a mark on my life, left a name on some of my kids. Because it's, it's, it's so helpful. I'm just doing what it says. Remember your leaders. And, and you need, we need those role models. This book is full of stories of men and women who just... They, they, they lift our heads, they give us a dream and a vision, they make us, they help us when you go through times of pain, difficulty, setback. I often, when I have to, I have to remind myself at times when it's difficult to be a Christian, yeah, but think about what he went through and somehow he found grace for it, somehow he got through it, happy, joyful. It lifts me, gives me courage and we need that. So I think that's partly what the writer's saying here. Remember your leaders, you have the right gallery of heroes, the right podium. But he doesn't just leave it at the, the from a distance heroes that you read books about. He talks in verse 17 about the people right there in their local church when he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So this is where it gets crunchy because it's about the local living leaders that are sitting near you or sharing life with you or speaking to you or bringing their wisdom into your immediate situation, into your decisions. And he's saying, obey, submit. Listen, there's a, there's a particular practical application of this. Now, but worth saying just quickly at the outset, when we're talking about elders, which I, I assume he's referring to here, we're talking about qualified men, we're talking about servants, and we're talking about accountable. So firstly, qualified. If you want to look at the list of qualifications of, of elders in the church, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Titus chapter 1, uh, Acts chapter 20, these are the things that describe how elders need to be measured, if you like. And there's places in Scripture that show that... that it's, there's, there's a certain level of wisdom, spirituality, calling, gifting that we expect. There's qualification needed. There's also a servant-heartedness. An elder in the church, a leader in the church, is a servant first. So that their leadership is an expression of their servanthood. That they, they, they lead out of the, the calling to serve first. That's so important because there are times when being a leader is deeply inconvenient. When being a leader means doing something you don't want to do. Being a leader means saying something you don't want to say. Pushing an issue you don't want to push. Serving means, uh, leading means serving in ways that sometimes people don't even notice. A lot of leadership is not the stuff I'm doing right now, it's the stuff that you have to do when people aren't watching. And, and a leader has to have, therefore, that servant heart right at the core. And the scripture is full of that kind of emphasis. It's very strong. Jesus said so clearly to his own disciples in Mark chapter 10, he that will be great amongst you must first be the servant of all. The, the, the servant is the leader in Jesus' economy of thinking. 
And, and so qualified, servant-hearted, and then thirdly, accountable. Remember what he says in this, this very passage. He says that these, these are guys who will lead as those who will have to give an account. So there's a, a sobriety there, isn't it? It's quite serious. James actually says in James chapter 3 of his book, a few pages over, he says, don't, don't, if, you, if you desire to teach, remember, don't be quick to teach in God's house because if you desire to teach, you will be judged more strictly, more closely. You'll be, you'll be watched by heaven. So qualified, servant-hearted, accountable. I think with those things in place, it changes the whole direction of submission a bit. It's like, okay, leaders are like that. My heart is more disposed, I think, to see, see them as people I can follow, people that I can learn from. But let's talk finally about when. When do we submit? I mean, we call, it's, it's a strong word, submit, isn't it? And as I said earlier, it's a negative word. It sounds negative to us in our culture. Submission means loser, doesn't it? If you submit, it means you lost. I, I submit, oh, I won then, you didn't. That's the, that's the way we see it. That's the, the kind of box we, we, in our imagination, the box that we, we're limited to. I submitted, therefore I lost. But the Bible, again, this is so important. The Bible... The Bible lifts us, lifts our imagination, helps us to see this differently. Helps us to see it within the context of God's heavenly perspective. So that if I, if I think of the world as basically just a, a kind of godless, meaningless universe, then absolutely submission means losing. To submit is to lose. Right, okay, that's clear. That's made that clear. Let's never do that. But if I see it as actually a universe that God God is ruling over, watching over justly carefully, wisely and if he's got complete control over it, then actually I can learn to not worry so much about whether I am protecting my position because he protects it for me and this is how Jesus taught us to live Jesus' friend Peter says, when Jesus was having to submit, in his case, literally to soldiers, guards, Pontius Pilate, to a, to a false trial, mockery, and execution, it says in Peter's letter, he, though reviled, did not revile in return, but continued to entrust himself to he who judges justly. So his perspective was, I know you. I know that you will judge justly. I'm trusting you. These people that <laughs> I'm submitting to, really, ultimately, they're under your control. He learned to do that at the cross because he learned to do it when he was even a boy. This is how Jesus lived. It says in Luke's gospel, he went home to Nazareth with his parents and he was submissive to them. If you, don't, if you can read a verse like that and not have your mind blown, it's because you're not reading the Bible properly. We think about what it's saying. The eternal Logos, the Son of God, is in a workshop with a carpenter called Joseph taking advice on how to make 
Spatulas was what I made when I was doing <laughs> woodwork at school. That was as advanced as I was ever allowed to get. Spatulas. You know what a spatula is? Just like a, basically a stick, like a kind of slightly kind of finessed, sharp stick used for cooking. And that was, that was it. I made that. And, and I can imagine, you know, Jesus in the workshop, you know, first day with his dad. We're going to make spatulas today, son. Imagine Jesus' eyes being tempted. You know, wouldn't you just sort of be tempted to roll your eyes? Just spatulas. And after six months, you know, we, okay, we're moving on to benches and doors. And, great. I can imagine, you know, for me, there would have been a point where I just would have flipped. Dad, stop telling me how to make spatulas. I made the wood. In fact, Dad, I made you. <laughs> That's literally the thing. Jesus is, is the sovereign one. He's the one that tells storms to be quiet. Jesus is in utter control and he's taking advice. He's literally submitting. He's trusting. His Father in heaven is working his plan. And Jesus entrusts himself to him who judges justly. And so submission becomes a different thing then. We say, okay, I'm, I'm serving as part of this church. I'm, I'm involved. I, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing all I can. But part of this is to say, I, I'm trusting those that God's raised up to lead. And sometimes that will mean times where I, I don't even wouldn't have done it that way it's not my preference I mean if submission means anything it means then doesn't it if I only submit when I love the decision that got made then it's not really submission submission is tested to see if it's there and there'll be times when it's like oh okay that's not what I wanted us to do but okay um, alright and we sometimes have to make an adjustment in our heart I find that personally when it's a leader that I'm submitting to I have to sort of stop reflect count to 10 <laughs> say God help me help me to remember this is good I trust you I trust you so when do we submit well if it means anything it means when we don't prefer the decision but 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 here's a counterbalance just to help us it doesn't mean that we submit when our conscience is troubled okay so there, there's definitely going to be times in the history of the church occasionally, I hope it doesn't happen to any of us, but it, it might, where a leader asks you to do something in the church and you actually don't believe it's right. You know from scripture they're asking you to do something that isn't right against the Bible. But they're my leader. So what am I supposed to submit? And here, the wonderful thing is the Bible is really helpful. The Bible's really clear on this, that leaders are to persuade our conscience the leaders are to appeal to the conscience, not to bully. There's a, there's a lovely tender tone to the New Testament, actually, when you read the way leaders talk about their churches. It's got that atmosphere of family. It's even got the specific points where the Apostle Paul, for example, will say, we appeal to everyone's conscience. Do you notice, even in this passage, the way that it finished off there in verse 18, well, he says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. He's saying, that's, that's, that's the key thing. We have a clear conscience. And if, if a leader is to win followers in a church, it must be by appealing to the, the conscience first, by saying, look, let me show you from Scripture. This is the way. Let's, let's talk about it from Scripture. And let, let me lead you with a good conscience. And if, if we ever feel like, actually, my conscience is deeply troubled, then we have clear tested, clear uh, examples in scripture of where it's like that's, 
it's shown to be the wrong way around. The way Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the, the people in Philippi, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. That's the right way around. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. That's when, that's when it's right. It's the, if it's the other way around, if you give yourself to a person as though they are God, you end up with a cult. That's how cults are formed. When leaders win devotion and loyalty that isn't really theirs to have, it doesn't belong to them, it's God's only. They become the chief shepherd instead of the under shepherd. So good leaders will always be concerned to appeal to the conscience of people, help to show things from scripture, help persuade and not to just bully, uh, to use intimidating tactics to over, overthrow people's will. So you get all these qualifications here and they begin to help us again. And finally, when, when do we su submit? Well, not, not when our conscience is being harmed and also not when there's, not in a context of no relationship. So this is, this is family. When he says obey your leaders, he's thinking about people that they knew, people that they could get to know and watch and follow and see the outcome of their life. He's talking about relationship. And, and the church is intended to be like that so that we can ask questions, we can, we can talk, we can listen. Sometimes I've, I've had people just occasionally say to me, um, do you mind if I ask, you know, the people who are asking me as the leader of the church and they're a member of the church and they're saying to me, do you mind if I ask? And in a situation like that, I might interrupt them and say, you can ask anything. You mustn't feel like you're not supposed to ask questions. It's not, it's not the, the atmosphere that we see in the Bible. It's, it's persuasion from winning of conscience. And actually, some people might ask in, a, in the wrong spirit. There is such a thing as a, you know, questioning and having a heart that is just negative and grumbling. That's in, that's in Scripture. But, but that's, that to, to react to that by making... It would be another example of the pendulum swinging too much if people feel like, I don't think in this church we're allowed to ask questions, it would be scary. So the, the context of submission is one where there's, uh, there's appealing to conscience and there's relationship being fostered. There's a sense of, yeah, we, we, we're allowed to ask. We, we, get to know the, we get to know the people, we get to know what we're doing and we understand it uh, as we go forward together. So... I'm trying to uh, help us to see that as we come up against this worldview, this different culture, as we go against the grain of our own culture, we actually can understand it a little better. And we start to feel some safety in it and some help in it. And then we're able to actually obey even what it says at the end of verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love the way the Bible's so realistic. You know, obey your leaders, respond to them well, because it will make them, make them joyful, and then they'll lead you better. <laughs> it's kind of down to earth and healthy for us. Let me just finish by saying one more thing, and that is that in, in doing this, in talking about submission, in this positive way, we're actually being completely consistent with how we get to know God in the first place. 
the way that a person gets to know God is, is humbling. At the heart of following God and knowing God is being willing to humbly submit to his way. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing for us to process. See, Jesus, Jesus says to us, if you want me, <laughs> you need to accept me with my church. If you want Jesus, he's going to come with Christians, <laughs> churches, church leaders. And we think, oh, maybe I don't want Jesus after all. Jesus, no, there's no other way of having me. I, I, I'm, I'm totally committed to my church. I love my church. So we get to be humbled in the process. But actually, isn't that kind of how we got to know God in the first place? If you're a Christian, you know precisely what I mean. And if you're just investigating Christianity, if you're here looking into Christianity, if you're here as a guest today, then, then I guess my word to you is Getting to know Jesus is, is, is the only way ultimately to find the freedom that we long for. The, 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 the longing that we have to be free from, from guilt, from, from shame, from the stuff that's in our past, the stuff that's in our past, our thoughts of, of what's happened in the past, stuff that we've done, stuff that we've said, stuff that we've thought, or stuff that we wish we should have said or should have done or should have thought, the guilt and the shame. How do we deal with that? How do we get rid of this? There's, no, there's, there's no way I can get rid of this burden. And Jesus says, I, let me take it. Let me take that burden. Let me release you. Let me release that from your shoulders. Let me carry it. I was crucified for it. It's, it's something I can help you with. But we, we feel, but, but that means following Jesus. <laughs> do I really want to do that? But ultimately, he's the one that can give you hope. He's the ultimate one that gives you freedom, peace, forgiveness, real forgiveness, lasting peace, <sighs> knowing that it's gone forever knowing that you, you've got a future with him, knowing that there's hope for your life. He's got good plans for your life. All these things, these things we long for, right? It's what we long for. And, and he, he's here to give it to you, Jesus is. So what it takes is for us to humble ourselves and say, okay, I, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm gonna choose to accept Jesus. It's maybe for some of us that just we cross the ick factor. It's like, really? <laughs> Being a Christian? Being a follower of Christ? A, a Jesus follower? Some of us, that's the last thing we ever thought we would do. Last thing on our list. But when you see who he is and what he brings, you realize, oh, of course, of course. And it's like in one of those stories where the couple get together and they start the story off with one of them hating the other one. But it's only because... They don't really understand the other one. They don't really know how good they are. And over the course of the story, they start to see, oh, you're amazing. I, I had you all wrong. And that's exactly what it's like to follow Jesus. It's what it's like to become a Christian. I get it. He is what I need. 
Some of you, that's where you are today. You're at that point where you, you're not yet following him because you haven't quite seen that he's the only one that gives you what your heart longs for. And of course, as you do that, you start to trust him. You start to receive into your life the, the gifts that he gives you of all different kinds. Let's pray together. Joe's gonna go up and lead us into communion. Let me just finish by praying. Father, we thank you for this gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you for the gifts you give to help us, inspire us, lead us and guide us. And we pray that you'd help us to receive all these things into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.